and hello to another episode of Flail Forward. This is our fourth episode. I am your, I'm still going to call myself your ostensible host, Fred, because I'm definitely very ostensible. Um, and I have a project named Wanderlust. Good segue. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. So at what point do we just try again? Um, no, no, keep it, keep it. Keep it. <laughs> Car, where are you? This is a podcast about amateurism, after all, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't well, we check to make sure he was back? Yeah, now I'm here. Um, <laughs> my name is Karas Nower, a.k.a. Car, and the game I'm working on is called Legendcraft. Best intro ever. <laughs> I'm Kat, and I'm <laughs> working on Sayorsa, Unlike most people here, I just sound like I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my name is Jonathan. Uh, my game is called Cut to the Chase, and you'll be able to find it hopefully soon in an um, anthology called uh, You and I Roleplaying Games for Two. I'm Kavor, and I added the subtitle Motivations Edition from last week. <laughs> Right. No actual title. <laughs> no actual title. Well, the actual title is still the same as it was before, but I don't feel the need to repeat it. But what if somebody's okay. listening to the podcast for the first time? So they aren't interested in my game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Rob. I am working on Ashes of the Magi. Now you know all of us again. Um, or, as someone said, every every episode is someone's first episode, so welcome. I, I'm sorry that you're here. <laughs> That's I'm rough. very sorry. <laughs> it's boy. For those I'm of not you, sorry at all. Why are you, you here? First, for those of you listening to the first time, welcome to the dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but tonight... It's not obvious by now. Well, it, it, I can... Don't don't let them know that. I can change things. Now they know. <laughs> you have dark, How you have can dark you magic this? <laughs> wow, this is great. This is great. All right. All right. So we're okay, talking so, about Fred. I, fuck, I don't know. Um <laughs> no, we're we're tonight we're talking about um like NPC rules or guidance or advice. Um I was really just calling this rules, but I was told that you can't call stuff that isn't like explicitly rules text rules. I, the first thing I want to talk about, because we want to start with something that is already at least published. So I figure we'll start with something that's actually published. Um, uh, we'll call this, you know, your, um, I, I don't want to say, oh my God. Uh, so we're going to be talking about- No, shut up, Rob. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can do this. Um, we're gonna be talking about your. I, I'm not gonna. I was originally calling this favorite, your favorite NPC rules, but then um, it was made very clear to me that most other people here don't have like favorite NPC rules or NPC sections. So we'll call this eh, the most interesting or most notable NPC section you've read. The NPC yeah. section you're most ambivalent towards. <laughs> <laughs> in your case, 
Sure, I'm sorry that some of us <laughs> like things. Um, but as as is only fair, it's my question. I will start with an answer. And I'm going to fall back on my old Powered by the Apocalypse stuff because I, I constantly talk about it because it's great. Um, but like the NPC guidance in, I'll say Monster Hearts, but Monster Hearts and Apocalypse World and several of the other PBTA games do very similar things with their NPCs. And I think it's really nice. It's a really good system. Like one of my favorite lines about how to run NPCs comes from Monster Hearts, which is just run your NPCs like they're stolen cars. Use them for whatever. Don't care about them. They are disposable. And it's it's such a great philosophy for using NPCs and general those that's my that's my favorite. I actually have a favorite, but I understand the rest of you don't. So but anyway, who would like to answer next? Uh I'll go ahead. Uh not a favorite. But um I think sometimes we look to, you know, these big uh games for examples, whether they're good or bad. And um I I just want to show that we can find good uh NPC rules in a lot of games. And so I found this game. I was looking through my drive through RPG, see what I had there, and I saw this game that I've never played, but I bought at some time called Maze Rats. So pick it up on Drive Through RPG mm-hmm. if you want. It's 12 pages long. It's an OSR game. And they have about, well, they actually have quite a bit. I'll just quickly go through this. They, they do some things, so they, they introduce NPCs. They say the GM plays them. That's important to know. They talk about NPC reactions. They have how they would react in certain situations. And um, I think the, the really important part is um, they ask you for, uh, they have uh, NPC assets which is just a list of basically positives, liabilities, a list of negatives, and goals, uh, which is a list of uh, goals for your NPCs. So um, very quickly, you can have a character or an NPC character um, just by picking a few of these points, something that you can use as a GM. And then uh, towards the end, uh, they talk about uh, how to use your NPCs. And this is what they write here. Treat treat NPCs like real people. Think about what the NPCs want, especially in combat. Uh, NPCs want to stay alive and will rarely start fights as they don't have a high chance of winning. And they go on to talk about, um, basically, think about your NPC uh, and how they would react based on their goals and and, uh, assets or uh, liabilities. So, like I said, this is a a short game. None of this NPC stuff is perfect, but they they kind of catch all the highlights that you should have, and uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. I, I um, in the the stuff I've I've written for Ashes on NPCs, like I do have the pretty much only thing you need are like two distinctions, and then I have motivations sewn throughout. But the motivations change based on organization or other things but it, it's something i definitely include and it sounds like maze rats has taken that sort of idea gotten there first and already i, sh- I should i should want to take a look at that actually because i haven't i've heard of it but i haven't i haven't uh i haven't looked at it 
Um, mm-hmm. That sounds useful. Uh, but I, I mean, it's sort of like convergence because I, I can't, I, some of the things that, that, that bothers me about a lot of games is they don't address NPC motivations at, like, at all. And that's going to be, as, as the GM, it's like your most useful tool in building stories is, is like, are these, are other things in the world opposed to the players or allied with them? Um, and not by virtue of anything the players have done, but, but just by aligning motivations. Um, and completely a, tangential. Or, yeah, or tangential motivations. Um, are, are, do they not care about the PCs? They just go, okay, I don't, I don't have to fight you. I don't want to spend resources dealing with you. You can just be over there. I'm going to be over here. I mean, that might be boring for your particular game, but it would at least uh, reinforce the fiction of the world a little bit. Um, but it, it's very rarely dealt with. I don't know that I have a particularly favorite NPC section in a book. Um, well, it's not favorite, just yeah, but a notable one. Um, I think the one of the really good, even even though it's not dealing specifically with NPCs, is the are the um, the factions in Blades in the Dark, and the way they were set up in that game, um, such that. When you're when you start a game of Blades in the Dark, you have to you already have relationships with a few of the factions, positive and negative, and these factions aren't bulked out, aren't built out very much. They only have a couple of lines describing each one. They give you the broad strokes, and then they sort of let the GM and the players fill in the rest of the detail. Um, and I think that's a really really good way of doing it because one, you don't have a particular NPC that becomes the the fulcrum of any one adventure but you have an organization and in an organization you can have particular npcs die off the players get frustrated with them and just take them out in a scene that can happen um but then you you still have the motivation of that that npc still present in the game through the organization and having doing just the broad strokes means that you can fill in the detail as you go, and so it allows the players to um, to push these organizations in directions where they may not have gone otherwise by by virtue of the interacting with them. Um, and I think it, it it's just a really if you're doing a game in which uh, the players are going to be interacting with other organizations, I think that section is a really good one to read and 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 learn how it works. All right, cool. And a car. I really don't have one. Really? You don't even have one? Do you have one you'd point to as being bad? Bad? Um, I would categorically say that any game that reduces NPCs to a mechanical stat block is bad. Which dovetails with what other people were just saying about NPCs being rounded out, having motivations and all that. Because mm-hmm. if, if, if an NPC is just numbers and then maybe a name, then there's nothing to work with there narratively. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah totally. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's Reasonable. where a lot of my problems were when we were talking about the topic earlier was that, well... A lot of games don't 
really go into any detail of what to do with NPCs at all. Like, I went through three separate games before I found one that actually talked about NPCs. <laughs> like, the yeah. first two I checked did not have anything about them. They didn't have an NPC section, period. Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, the one that I did find that actually did have a, a section on NPCs was Shadowrun, and it actually had not terrible information on them, which is weird for Shadowrun. I, its rules weren't terrible, but then again, that's because it wasn't really rules. It was more of the world building, and that's like the one thing Shadowrun does good. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. But I actually want to quote something from it because they had a very good uh, point in it, which was, and I quote, Almost nothing kills a game faster than a game master who will not let their pet NPC go when the players can clearly see that the character no longer serves their purpose. If a game master insists on continually forcing the NPC back into the story in contrived ways, the players will quickly become resentful of the NPC and frustrated with the game. Which actually is a pretty good point. Like, it's, it's one of the things, um, the concept of, like, the GM basically playing their own personal NPC, like, they step into the game itself. But one of the biggest risks with that is you basically wind up with the risk of the pet NPC being given preferential treatment and like heaps of plot armor and stuff that the other characters don't have. Like I have been in campaigns where basically it's just the GM playing their own kind of self-masturbatory session and <laughs> the players are just along for the ride. Yeah, like I, it's I, all I, one character. That's right, yeah. I've heard of That's games where, 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 yeah, it's the same, like exactly what you described, where, where the, um, the, the GM is, has their, their, usually it's a wizard. I don't know why that is, but usually it's a wizard and he is functionally solving all the encounters for the players, like in the exact way the GM would envision. It, yeah, and yes, very strange. It's, that's immediately well, strange, standing but... out to mine was a paladin, and it was mm. like, oh god, we wanted to kill this guy so bad, mm. but we couldn't. Yeah. Hmm. That sounds like a, I mean, a GM problem more than a specific system problem. But at the well, same time, I understand. I mean, that's yeah. the point of these rules: is that they're supposed to guide the GMs to know how so, to use NPCs in an effective manner, and most games don't even touch on it. Yeah, they certainly don't. Well, that's what we're here to fix, right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Cavoir? Okay, so I'm not. Oh, mostly, most of my points are connected to this. What are the. I do like how Urban Shadows specific words on this, but it's mostly give NPCs names and drives, worry about the rest later as the fiction evolves. Like start them as a name and drive and see how they come, but they and how it makes them piece important with their net system. But I don't have, I don't really think I could say a lot of meaningful things about that in the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Urban Shadows has really good NPC rules, um, if I remember correctly, for that game. For what the game is, it it basically treats them as an extension of the environment in the city, and since the major sto the major story is the story of the city, it they're 
it mm. does it in an interesting way. But the important part is like it, it's mostly it's make them know their it's make them fit in with the world and know their place and make sure they have at least a name and a drive to start with. They'll be if they become more important, they become more important and yeah. Well then they become what do they call them in that game? Threats? Yeah, they either become threats or a person you can go to. Because yeah. a lot of because all the moves in that game are or are almost all of them except for the spirit moves are are externally directed and or about interacting with people, but that's its own thing. <laughs> you know, I almost want to say that these aren't even really so much rules as they are like rule of thumbs kind yes, of. Yes, definitely in this case. Yeah, yeah or best practices. Yeah, directions. Yeah, guidance. Um, actually, one of the things that I forgot to mention, I was talking about Powered by the Apocalypse, when I was answering the question first, um, was that one of the things I like about uh, the Powered by the Apocalypse NPC system, and this is the same with Cavoirs, because Urban Shadows is also Powered by the Apocalypse, is that um, generally once you have an NPC that is, you know, more is actually a threat or has some meaningful uh, space within the plot, uh, you can give them a custom move, which just usually gives the players a new way to interact with that character or interact with the world around them. And I really... Uh, the the move system is well done and simple enough that you can make a nice little rule. And then it's like it's especially fun for me when I was like when I was running Monster Hearts and someone and they would go, okay, we're gonna fight this guy or we're gonna go try and deal with this guy. And then there was always that that great you have to make a a cold roll for me. And then there's a certain amount of dread that comes with that because suddenly you have a move that you don't know, and that's a lot of fun. Mm. I think, um, oh, go ahead. We kind of hit on some things, and I, I feel like we're all on the same page in a lot of ways. And it's uh, it's sort of like simple, easy to create, uh, has a motivation, and room for growth. Um, at least that's as far as we've gone so far. I, and I think those are, but I think you can go a long way with with those sort of ideas. Yes, those seem to be the important core rules that I that I see. And I'm gonna stop talking now. Because <laughs> oh, great. Go ahead. Because <laughs> um, all I had to say was, "Oh yeah, that sounds right." And I was gonna talk about my least favorite thing in NBC rules. But go for it. <laughs> yeah, my least favorite it. thing is when they basically are the biggest defender of this is like you can exist to some extent, especially in more mechanics-heavy games. But if it asks you to point blank build a PC, that I really hate that it's yeah really fuck not off. A great way to do it <laughs> yeah it's it no it's really bad and what's 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 the worst part of that is when you when the game's asking you to build a functionally complete player character and by that i mean maybe you're not building every piece of it but you have to figure out their attack rating defense um all of the equipment they would be carrying um their relevant skills um, any relevant stats that are driving those skills in one way or another. And so you've got like the, a skeleton of a PC at least, and that's taken you how long? Like, let's say, let's say it takes 15 minutes to do one of those. And then that dude dies in the first round of combat. And mm. now you're like, why did I spend 15 minutes on this guy to make, to make the player happy for, for 
functionally 30 seconds. And yeah, it's, okay. Be- that treadmill. Yeah. Before we get into the don't build NPCs as PCs crux, which I think is, I fear is going to be the entire, the majority of this conversation. <clears throat> I just want to say that uh, the theme I'm getting through all of our responses here mm-hmm. leads me to believe that how a game treats its NPCs seem could be considered a bellwether for how important it considers playing a character in the first. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, you can, there are markers in certain games where it's like, well, so, you know, if, if a game suggests that the players have a motivation, generally they're going to suggest the, the NPCs have a motivation. If the game suggests that the player's motivation is a given uh, in that you don't have to come up with a motivation for your particular character, but the game is, is giving you a motivation um, by virtue of you showing up uh, and see any dungeon crawler for this. Very few dungeon crawlers that I've looked at. Yeah, the implied motivation. Yeah, the implied motivation is get get treasure in order to get better at getting treasure. And it doesn't care about, like, why why are the goblins all congregated in this one room? Because well, they were having a birthday them. party, and then you just crashed it and murdered everyone. Yeah, that was actually John Wick's answer. Weirdly enough, he was he. Um, I I got to talk to him one time. He came into the game store I was working at, and he was at the t- I believe he was writing Orcs at the time, and that was a game where you you basically took like the idea of an orcish bard. And was like somebody told him that couldn't work, and then he wrote a game to justify it. Um, <laughs> that sounds like something one of us would do. About him. <laughs> right, yeah, um, I see nothing I mean, wrong with power metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. so, so, but he was like, you know, why is it justified for 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 a, a troop of humans to go into a cave, murder a bunch of orcs, and take their stuff? Uh, because they're not humans. I, it, yeah, because the games are human centric. That's why. Yeah. yeah. So there's, um, the original, uh, basic D and D, I believe the, I believe it's the red box. And I can't remember the name of the, um, the, the included an adventure. And I can't remember the name of that. Keep on the border. No, yeah, keep, is uh, that what it was? Uh, I don't know if that was in the main box. No, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's certainly one of the early ones, so probably a good a reference point and, as any. Uh, Keep on the Borderlands was one of the first standalone modules. Okay, so uh, maybe it's the same thing. May, maybe it's something else, but there's a, basically in one of the caves, there's like, a, it's either a goblin or a kobold nursery. And it's goblin, sort of, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. Oh, the it, goblin, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, hey, like, are you just going to murder a bunch of goblin babies? Uh, and, you know, they threw that out there quite a long time ago. <laughs> uh, whatever, almost 40 years ago now. Oh, uh, I just wanted to highlight that point because I think the reason that's in there, and I could be wrong, but I think the reason that's in there is because it act. So when we, when we hit that problem, I was playing an elf at the time. And the elves have this animosity towards orcs and other goblinoids. And so I was like, oh, as soon as the players 
turn their back, I just fireball the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> and my justification for that was that <laughs> okay, this is actually really dumb. They're just gonna the, grow up into they're gonna violence. grow up into chaotic evil people. And yeah, I mean that's the rule of the game is goblins are chaotic evil. It's true. And so they're a detriment to the world simply by virtue of existing. And so making them not exist makes the world better. It's and that crazy. is like startlingly Nazi-ish. Uh, that but is, that's yeah. that's it's the conclusion that the game sort of forced me to draw. I don't think the typical dungeon crawler is concerned with morality. I mean, especially when yeah. um I mean that that particular example is different because XP works differently in your like red box and first edition D and D. But in recent ones, when you attach XP to killing things, you have to have things to kill, um, and especially things to kill that you know you feel like you feel justified in killing, or at least you don't feel bad about killing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so when I was starting. Uh, running D and D, I had uh, um, a friend of mine who I'm still pretty good friends with, um, who would play with us. And her whole deal was that she just wanted to murder stuff. Um, like every character she made was all about murdering things. I think um, I met that girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's probably several, but uh, and then. And so, and, and she would keep a tally of all the people she murdered and we'd be very excited every time she got to like kill somebody. And then at one point, uh, through a various reasons, I, I, she had to kill a dog and she would not kill the dog. She was happy to kill other humans, animals, monsters, whatever, um, but would not kill a dog. And... I that is striking to me to this day. My wife's exactly the same way, so that makes a, t- a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I can I can kind of understand it. Like, yeah, you've got that kind of picture of innocence usually mm-hmm. um, with a dog, and it's like you know, a human. You can kind of go, eh, they probably did something awful. You know, I'm a human, <laughs> I get it. Um, but you know, a dog is like that's a dog. That's real nice. You know, you don't want to just kill that. As a human, I, I have done several awful things. <laughs> but keep in mind that it's not that big a deal because all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> wow. Um. <laughs> or, sorry, in D&D terms, it'd be the happy hunting grounds, I think. In, in Celestia? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, okay, but let's, I mean, we're, we're talking about NPCs, but we're not talking about NPCs in the way we should be talking about NPCs. Um, so I know that we've touched on this a bit as we've been going along, but I think the first thing we should probably try and do is highlight the particular things we think are missing. Um, and we talked about like a drive or an ambition or a goal, something like that was generally missing um, specifically. And that's an important one. To me, I often see I, NPCs are often built to serve a plot purpose, to be, you know, to be the quest giver or to be the, I don't know, whatever, the fair maiden. Um, or the antagonist, but yes. Or the antagonist, sure, whatever. 
Um, but they're they're built to serve a specific purpose, and that's good. But uh, you have to. It's important to go a little bit beyond that, and like under you know, and understand their drives and their flaws and their traits, and make them human. And that's often something that I don't see in a lot of games. Is like how to give a person those little those little traits, those little things, those little works that make them feel real. And that's a really hard thing to do, no question. But that's something that I've, I don't think I've ever seen a game address. This is one of the few times that I actually would like lists in a game. Like, um, mm-hmm. not exactly like roll on a random table, but it's like, here's a list of a bunch of little character quirks, like just... Um, personality traits that stand out that you'll notice in casual conversation. Just scan through the list quickly, find one that you think sounds neat, apply it to the character. It's it's a quick and easy way to make them stand out and feel a little bit different. Yeah, and especially because, like, for me, when I think about that, I generally try and give some sort of verbal tick. Because yep. RPGs are so vocal based, it, you want to go for something that's relevant to the conversation or to the the uh, vocal things you were doing. To the medium, yeah, to the medium. Yeah, to the that's medium. a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and so you know, to give them things where they're you know they repeat some word a lot, or they you know I often have characters who elongate certain um, tones or certain. Um, sounds so like they'll always elongate an O or something, and that is just a nice verbal take, and it also helps me as a GM go, okay, this is I'm now going into the old wizard Cedric voice, right. so I I know this one thing, and it kind of helps me get into character and keep that and keep it consistent. Yeah, I find the same thing. Like when I'm the 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 my my players favorite NPCs are generally the ones that I have some sort of vocal affectation to or have done something such that there's a trait they can sort of get their hooks on and that's they they basically know that NPC for that one thing um mm-hmm. there's there's two that come do you have any like that you remember like is Cedric the wizard one you actually like used or is that no uh, that I I do you have an example up. The one that stands that stands out in my head right now because I was thinking about this character earlier was there was a character in an Urban Shadows game I ran called the Matriarch, um, and she was kind of this businesswoman, very elite society kind of person, and she always tisked, um, mm. like she would always anytime anyone, yeah, they go kind of like that. Um, right, right. And just, you know, at the end of sentences or sentences, we just always have a nice little tisk. And that was actually a game where, because we were regularly kind of splitting the party, I would often give NPCs to players. And it was great because, like, I would give her out to players a lot because that mm-hmm. was, she was a fun character to play. And I would often get players going, tisk, 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 or, you know, making <laughs> some sort of tisk sound. I was like, oh, this is great. Nice, nice. Yeah. The, um, the main... That's an incredible amount of player buy-in right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It is. For real. Yeah, those um, were really good players. Go ahead, Rob. One of the... One of the uh, so, like, going to voices is... A, it found a, a very... In my... Um, when I was running a Mage in World of Darkness, 
um, one of the main things I did was really focus on the NPCs as um, pieces of the environment the players could interact with. And the way I did that was by giving each player sort of a contact in the world that this NPC liked to interact with that player over the other players. And it sort of made the players feel proprietary about the NPCs. So, and what's really useful about that is you can then leverage that feeling to get to motivate the PCs on in certain times. So like I had this one, uh, uh, one of the vampires that the uh, players were interacting with was sort of their contact within the vampire community um, in the world of darkness. So the players were all mages and uh, I had brought in a bunch of other of the world of darkness uh, splats to uh, make the game interesting. And so one of the, one of the um, vampires was a Nosferatu that was sort of had this high German voice uh like he was like oh hello so he he would show up and do that and the players just sort of like cotton on to this dude and he kept showing up so every time i needed the players to i wanted to send the players down a certain narrative i would have this guy show up and deliver something some information and they would take it as gospel um because they liked this guy and I, I could I could have done something where he he would betray them, um, and that would have been a really vicious turnaround. Uh, but I decided against that on like two different occasions because I didn't. Maybe I was babying the NPC too much. Um, but at one point, I had him get captured by a host of vampire hunters, and the players who are mages who are human were like, "Fuck that! We're gonna take those vampire hunters out." <laughs> and it's like the, the total opposite of what you might expect in a in a game where mages are interacting with vampires and I, I thought it was really interesting how i got them to do that just based on this voice that they enjoyed mm-hmm. but the, the tick was important to to making that character work yeah it's uh in the same way that like in a movie you should make all the characters visually distinct in an RPG, you should make them all vocally distinct. Uh, or at least mannerism distinct. Yeah, but... You could, you could do similar things with body language if you're at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that some of that stuff becomes harder to convey and do when the, the voice is so much more immediate. But yeah, if you have some sort of physical thing that you can do at the table, too, that's a, a good way to do it. I think... Um... As for you know, designing and putting these into uh, text, like saying this is something to consider uh, a lot, or uh, some players, uh, maybe less so GMs, but they're not always likely to do things like accents. So when you say, "Oh, if you do this accent, you really get buy-in from players," when they it might turn off players, so or GMs. And I think it's if we say. If we talk about voice, we should, or one thing that I might say is, you know, um, do a voice, not an accent. Uh, So, you know, drop your tone or, you know, use a higher pitch or have a stutter. Things that people can more easily do at the table. Yeah, an accent is hard to keep up and 
unless you're trained in it or just have a particular knack for it. Um, yeah. I don't tend to do accents myself because my accent will wander. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I can start out in a nice Scottish brogue, but I'll eventually end up somewhere in the Middle East. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's some distance. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, it is some serious distance. But I, yeah, and so, okay, so if we're going to talk... Oh, we got a little drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're Scottish... Start out that's, a little drunk. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, but I, if you're like putting how so, how then do we put this into rules? If we're saying like you, you know, is it all just you know, just say hey, make sure all of your NPCs have some sort of vocal tick or affectation or something yeah. unique. No, I don't think it's it's something that's a rule. I think it's more so just, you know, guidelines for general role-playing, like, you know, rules of thumb or more than actual solid rules in the game. Just be like, okay, you want to have a character that stands out a little bit. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. It just has to be something that... If a character is speaking, it should be clear that it's that character. Like, if it was written in text or something, you shouldn't have, like, uh, their name next to it. You don't have, like, anything fancy or anything, but you should know that this line would only make sense if it was said by this one person kind of thing. Like, that's normally how you do it in writing. These kinds of things are gameplay directives more than actual rules. Which doesn't Art. mean they're less important than rules. No, if anything, they're more important in the role-playing aspect because a lot of these games just don't cover this stuff. Like, it's something that a good GM will do, but not everybody starts out as a good GM because they don't know where to start. Like, this should be put somewhere in the book itself to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there and are entire, entire books about how to be an effective GM that just don't exist. And all that knowledge exists as lore within the hobby. There is one book, and it's Robin D. Law's Rules of Good Game Mastering, published by Steve Jackson Games. And anybody who wants to be good at game mastering should get that and read it, and it's short. I think it's only 24 pages. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a little longer than that, but it is really good. There's a lot of online resources as well. But again, all those things are external to any games. Yes, which is one of my biggest problems. That was one of the reasons I actually started making CRSO was specifically for that. Because there basically wasn't anything in any of the current games that told you how to actually roleplay and actually get enjoyment out of the game. That's kind of changed in the last couple of years, so it's not as big of a deal as it was, but it's still one of those things that a lot of people that get into role-playing, if you just start with like a group of people, you pick up, like say, D&D is your first game, and none of you have ever role-played before, and you're just following the rules as they're written, you're not actually going to have all that great of a time. Yeah, yeah. that's... That's the sad truth about role-playing historically, is that the games, the products, have an overabundance of game compared to how much role-playing content they have. 
I, I think also there's this like assumption of just, I don't know, we can't teach you that or you have to figure it out on your own. Like, yeah. It's like, yeah, we can, we can teach you the rules, but we can't teach you how to role play. Yeah. Which, far, this far can, be it for me to tell you how to do that. Yeah. No, but yeah. you can give people just a brief uh, glimpse of like two or three quick examples for each of these concepts. Like this is one way you could do this. Here's another alternative way. And here's a third. There you go. That's, that's all you need. It's not like it yeah. takes up a huge amount of space. Yeah, it's very well. It's very much well within the realm of a role-playing game for it to include even a synopsis of drama 101. But it doesn't have to give like the full, you know, degree breakdown from Juilliard. I mean, no, I'm not saying you have to do that. But like a, a role-playing game not including playing just seems a little strange especially because oftentimes each game will kind of have their own expectations and norms within role-playing, and it's good to say what those are and establish them because oh, yeah. you, then it's, it's like, okay, we need to follow these norms or break them, but know that we're breaking them and understand that we have to then make changes to how the game functions because we're breaking these basic assumptions and directives right but it also comes down to a problem of motivation because <clears throat> the the thing that's that's the disconnect between a player playing um their the, the character in quotes um that they've created and the player using the character as a game piece is a misalignment between the character's motivations and the player's motivations so when you can't, when a game allows those two to align, that's when you have players playing character without knowing it. Um, you can, and some games do this explicitly, and some games do this um, in a sort of backdoor way where they kind of get the player to go along, but don't still don't align the incentives that well. The best version I've seen of that is in Riddle of Steel, and which is a Somewhat obscure game, but it has a couple of successors in Blade of the Iron Throne and Song of Swords. And the main thing it does, um, in addition to uh, medieval dueling combat, that's its main like uh, conflict resolution thing, but it has these things called spiritual attributes. And what these are are both your experience and additional power within an, a scenario, a particular scenario in which you care about the outcome. And so in order for these things to work, the character has to care about the outcome of the action and the player is incentivized for these things to work because they get extra power when they're doing this thing. And so it aligns the character's incentives with the player's incentives. And if you can do that with NPCs, so much the better. But it, if, you, if a game doesn't have something like that then the interaction with npcs is not that predictable mm -hmm. i th i think um so i have a, a story and i think sometimes what can be an issue um <clears throat> and i think we've talked about ways to solve it already but sometimes when i played especially with players i've never played with before as a gm uh is problematic um player sort of usage or treatment of NPCs. 
and I don't mean killing NPCs because that's just what players do. Uh, I more mean like expecting NPCs to do what they want. Um, and I believe by not just giving motivations to NPCs, but making sure they abide by those um, motivations. And uh, in this example, I had some players who really, for whatever reason, I I, I had um, basically joined up in a group online, so I didn't know them. And they really wanted to have a kobold uh, as a, quote, pet or whatever. <laughs> so the first thing was like, no, you can't have a pet kobold. You can have a pet dog, but you can't have a sentient being as your pet. Um, kobold it, disagrees. Yeah, and it really sounded like, you know, it sounded more like kobold slavery than kobold pet or any pet or any friend. Um, it's not the same to kobolds. They can't have a difference. <laughs> so, Old cats, kobolds are named Dobby. Yeah. So I just... Um, and I avoided... Um, I don't actually... I don't even know why I put the kobold in. I guess because I thought that... Yeah, I'm not sure why. But they fought them, and they captured one, and I allowed them to... Uh, I gave the kobold a motivation if he was going to interact with these. And basically, the motivation was he would do, you know, almost anything for money. Um, and the deal was, if he was going to hang out and take care of Donkey or whatever, is he, he got a cut. He got 10% of all the loot that they got. He would never fight, and those were his, those were his uh, rules. Um, and it worked a lot better. I, or I felt more satisfied as a GM knowing that I could always say no, or I could always say pay me. <laughs> Just say, fuck you, pay me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In thing, a cobalt voice. The thing that bothers me about that is that you kind of missed an opportunity to explore the concept of a willing servant. Like, the way I tend to play with kobolds, like, I'm actually playing kobold in a campaign at the moment. Like, kobold goes out of her way to, you know, try to be helpful. Does not necessarily mean that she's very good at it, but she's trying to be helpful. Like, as far as kobold's concerned, like, kobolds are expendable. Sorry, did you say you're playing the character or you have a Yes. I am okay. playing a I am playing a kobold. Actually so... it's gotten really weird at this point. Like we were supposed to you know, it was supposed to be a dungeon crawl. GM was expecting us to just, you know, murder everything in sight. Since then, uh, my character has managed to convince about half the dungeon that she is the a goddess of kobolds at this point and we've converted <laughs> half the dungeon to our side <laughs> well i don't have any problem with a pc creating whatever uh motivation they want um yeah but, as, but i've, and I've NPC, got an army of kobolds now <laughs> <laughs> see and but as an npc or as someone in control of the npc i would essentially want to avoid the situation where one of my players has an army of kobolds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but... fine. That's... <laughs> also, they're kobolds, so, you know. The thing is, as well, you, you kind of have to, like, play up to things like that. It's like, 
for example, got rid of like the bitchy ass queen that was controlling them and basically wasn't treating them very well. It's like, no, you're totally going to be given like all sorts of stuff. First thing we do, uh, go to another part of the dungeon. There's like goblins and shit in there. So after killing those ones off, just basically raided their stores. It's like, here's a whole bunch of food. We're going to bring all the wine back. <laughs> you guys are just going to have like a huge party while we clear out the rest of the dungeon. <laughs> well, if we're going to keep talking about kobolds, I will, and this is relevant, this is again relevant to the topic, I will explain why Dragon Mountain is one of my favorite D&D supplements. Keep it short. Um, <laughs> for anyone that's not familiar, <clears throat> Dragon Mountain is this huge, like, 20-level dungeon. And the point of it is to go through the whole dungeon and fight the dragon at the end. Well, as you go through it, the PCs are faced with wave after wave of kobolds. It becomes clear that there's 12 distinct tribes of kobolds in this dungeon. And their chiefs and shamans and certain other uh, important figures are treated as NPCs. Which All was right. novel at the time for D&D, treating, you know, sword fodder as people. Having a personality. Amazing. Exactly. That's why Dragon Mountain is one of my favorite uh, supplements. Huh. See, that's... Was that short enough? Yes. <laughs> um, but no, that's, that is a, a cool thing. I mean, that's just, um, it's just like a nice genre convention flip, essentially. Yeah, it, it, it bent one of the norms of D&D. It's an important thing to do when you're trying to make a story personal or like, you know, make people matter is to give them a personality trait. Uh, like in a lot of, you know, in most cases, it seems like players are pretty happy to hack through, you know, faceless kobolds or orcs or whatever. But if you give them motivations and drive and quirks and, you know, make them people. If you person yeah, if you personify them. If you personify them, suddenly it becomes not just like, oh, I'm gonna stab this kobold. It becomes, oh, should I stab this kobold? Um or... Don't worry, the kobold won't take it seriously like personal. I mean it's a kobold. <laughs> They're used to getting stabbed. That's kind of their thing. <laughs> I, I maybe, maybe we should just stay away from clear characters. <laughs> Sorry, the cobalt will be dead before he gets a chance to cry about it. Yeah, yeah. Keep in mind, this is something that is something that does stand out is that there are different cultures and there are different species. Like, they're not all just human and they're not all going to be thinking the same way that we do. We're not. Like, not all of them are going to be fully progressive and stuff. Like, you have, like, uh, goblins and stuff that are, like, slavers and things. They don't care about the kobolds. They'll enslave the kobolds all they want. Kobolds might not even necessarily mind because, hey, we're getting food and we're getting shelter. And, I mean, they don't treat us very nicely, but 
that's because we're kobolds. Like, they're used to being the bottom rung on the totem pole or whatever, so it's not really that strange to them. They've never experienced anything else. So you can actually play around with stuff like that and present situations and groups that don't conform to what we would expect in human society. And honestly, I think it's a disservice to the imagination of the world if everybody thinks exactly the same way. It's like, no, like, there's going to be, like, really weird stuff where it's like, this goes completely against everything that seems right and okay to me. And it's because they have a different set of uh values and principles and morals and stuff that you can basically come up with much more interesting stories than you would otherwise Mm -hmm. absolutely and uh i'm just going to turn that back around to motivations and and we can um take those uh i think and just run with them uh but i think also making them easily accessible to the GMs and players, or GMs, uh, when they're creating is useful. Yeah. And especially for conflict. Biggest thing, conflict, uh, rather than ever having them just be like, oh, they're evil. Give them a good reason for why they're doing what they're doing. And it does that thing where it's like, should I kill them? Because they have a pretty good reason for why they're doing this. Yeah, protecting their home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, if actually we can kind of loop on back to our original question here, which is what is normally missing from PC sections, which at least from some of you seems to be pretty much everything. Well, some of it, it's the NPC section. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, in my opinion, um, from the design perspective, is first off, do it, like include it in your game. Um, sort yeah. of number one, uh, it's important. And also, don't be afraid to tailor it to your game. So, if some of the things we talked about don't seem to suit your uh, design ideas, don't feel pressure to force them in there. Or they're just they're tools for the GM, and with and they should be simple. Like that's kind of my guide to getting you started to designing your NPC section. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely make them as simple as you can. Like I, we started this thing out with. Uh, don't make your NPCs use the same rules as PCs or be a fully built PC. Um, Which like I disagree with. <sighs> well, sorry, but you're wrong. Um, but I yeah, but yeah. you're wrong. So <laughs> I knew it. Okay, the reason I the reason okay, having a separate system for NPCs just increases the mental mass for the GM. 
No, it doesn't. No, no it does not. not. If it's simpler. Yeah, that. Sometimes. I mean, it, it it does because the GM ostensibly has to be able to know how to make PCs, and then you have this other abbreviated system for making NPCs. The abbreviated version is more mental mass. It is, but at the same time, it it can pay for itself over time. Like, if you're making 50 NPCs, having an abbreviated version, yes, it's a little bit of extra information you need to get started, but it shortens the workload on... So it pays for itself over time. And yeah. But, okay, but my approach to achieve the same end is fake the NPCs until you have to make them. Hmm. I mean... Like you don't have to use the same PC framework. You don't have to go through the full process until you need to. They're NPCs. They're somewhat ethereal as far as the players are concerned. Nobody's going to call you out for a role that doesn't coincide with whatever you said their stat was or whatever. Well, so it doesn't matter. They're, they're narrative. You can keep them narrative until they have to be. So I, I agree with you. I guess my question is for you. Um, if you want to do that, fine. But I would ask you, what, how, how do you fake them? Like, what advice do you give a GM for faking? As in, what? How do they play them before they give them stat? Yeah, faking them well and keeping them consistent is hard. You can prepare an NPC just as a few notes. You don't have to go and fill out a character sheet for it. Mm -hmm. I just, I guess, that's I'm where saying. you get your consistency from. Yeah, is return to your notes and then draw from them or expand them as the play is happening. Yeah, but like <clears throat> until the PC gets into a fight, they don't need a combat stat. Yeah, you can no. portray them as this big badass dude, but until the fight actually starts, you don't have to write a number down. I guess the thing for me is um, I've run like combat because that's usually where most stats come into it. So, like running combat. And I've, I've run it in games where you have to make an like, entire character sheet for an NPC. And but besides prep work, that just means that there's more there for you to deal with. I mean, it's not impossible, but if I, like, if I have um, four character sheets in front of me, that's four character sheets I have to pay attention to and you know, four character sheets worth of attention that I could be putting somewhere else. Um, like I, but my point is that you don't have to have four character sheets in front of you. The minimum you need in front of you is four separate sections of notes. One thing to point out is that you don't need it to be quantitative. Like once you have like all these stats and everything, that's like a lot of quantitative information. You don't need that. All you really need is very uh, qualitative uh, concepts for the NPC. Like, do they get angry easily? There you go. That's, that's a qualitative concept. You don't need to have it 
expressed in actual um, statistical sense. Uh, you can say they're very strong. There you go. That's all you really need most of the time. As long as you have that's the quality exactly of the concept, point. that's all you need. Yeah, or that's you could exactly just have a stat block for them already and just be like, oh, all I need is more numbers. Great. And then like, you can also give them those qualitative things. Um, I but feel like after. we're kind of saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just well, the okay. issue where once you start statting everything out at that point, it starts to bog down the GM with a lot of extra preparatory work, and a lot of it ends up being useless. So generally, keep it as very simple as, as needed, like just basic information, like rough, very rough description of them, uh, any of like the verbal tics and such that we were describing earlier, like speech patterns, um, stuff like that. That's all you really need to start with. Build on more as it's needed, but build the rules in such a way that you can tack on those uh, additional things very quickly and easily without needing to go through like point by systems for absolutely everything to make like a full on character. Like, yeah. you don't want to use oh, yeah. full PC oh, rules. Oh, no, yeah, even I, if you're playing a point by system. Work off your work off some completely economically invalid notes <clears throat> until you have to make the NBC, and then you can either construct it in a way that retcons whatever happened later, or in some way justify its quantitative state against what happened before. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I get it, Car. Like, I guess these things I'll, don't have to be set in stone either before or after. No. One thing I do want to point out for just as a game design principle, because this is something that I found helps like a ton and it's how I'm building my NPCs. Keep them in uh separate seg sections, segments. I don't know, I'm like really tired, but anyway, the concept is break it into individual sections that are basically isolated from each other. So their social skills are not attached to the points or however you're doing for the combat skills, because that way you can build them very quickly and easily in just the section that you need. And you don't have to build the entire NPC from scratch with, okay, well, I have to take some of the points out of their combat stats so that they can actually uh, do this social conversation stuff that they were doing. And then I have to give them like these skills over here as well. And it's like, that turns into like a huge mess because everything's connected. And that's fine with a player character because you need to balance the entire player character. For an NPC though, try to keep each section uh, distinctly separate from the other section so that it's much less work at a time and you don't wind up with this huge convoluted uh, web where if you tweak anything, it messes everything else up. Hmm. Yeah, that's... Uh, at least if you're going for a, like a point-by system or something similar to that, that's a, that's a good way to go. Yeah, yeah it'd, it'd just be a series of smaller point by a system so it's like you might have 
10 points for this, 15 points for this, whatever. It's like they're separate from one another, so they can't affect each other. It avoids it from just turning into a huge mass. Mm -hmm. One of the, I, I think, the thing that we're missing here that I think is important, and it might just be me, um, but like when we're talking about making an NPC as a as a PC, is that to me generally NPCs have very different requirements um, for what they are and what they should be and the purpose they serve within the mechanics and the plot, and so building them like a PC kind of detracts from that and just is it the most extra work that you shouldn't have that feels like you shouldn't really have to do it because an npc fills a different role and thus should um and thus should be you know made in a different way quantified in a different way qualified in a different way because they serve a different place in the plot at least in most games than do pcs that's yeah. true, but are they functionally different as characters? Uh, potentially, yeah. I think in some cases, yeah. I mean, the like, like I'll I'll say my game for example, because my game is so based on travel and moving. I don't expect players to regularly come back to the same spots and you know interact with the same people. Like most likely you're not going to talk to the same NPC more than once or twice. Unless they're, the, unless they're occurring, unless they're occurring bus driver who ends up in the oldest, in all these stupid places, because that's a fun joke that you've decided you wanted to include in your game. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, what um, what but... I meant by that was, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to what kept getting cited during, um, like the noteworthy NPC things was, if NPCs should have no motivations, shouldn't the PCs have them also? Of course. Like what part? What parts of an NPC should? What part should an NPC have that a PC doesn't, and vice versa? I can actually answer part of that. Um, for the NPCs in my game, for example, the way they are used in terms of like so social situations. Um, you look at what the PCs are going to be doing. The player characters are looking to get things out of the NPCs rather than the other way around in pretty much almost all cases. So you need to have like a way to keep track of whether the NPC actually wants to give stuff up or not. But there's not really much reason for the NPC to have, like, a bunch of ways to mechanically alter what the players do in return, because the players, well, they get the option to roleplay their character. They don't have to abide by a specific list of when this character does this to you, you must get angry. It's like, well, no, my character wouldn't get angry in that case because that's just not in character for them. So you can do that one-sided with the NPCs and it doesn't really reflect 
properly if you try to reverse their positions. It, it just doesn't work, really. Is that because... I, I think a lot of this is motivated by games wanting to make NPCs efficient for the GM, and in doing so, they introduce a lot of false dichotomies between PCs and NPCs. Well, I think it's a false dichotomy in general just because of the fact of what the PCs are compared to everything else. Like, keep in mind that the player characters are the focal point of the story. Everything else revolves around them. They, they are the actors. Everything else is the acted upon. So if you look at the things that are acted upon, like the NPCs, the NPCs, for the most part, do not need the capacity to act upon the players in quite the same way that the players need to be able to act upon the NPCs. Actually, in some games, yeah. it's actually specifically set up that way. Um, some games will say that the, um, for example, like any sort of um, uh, social roles uh, must then, are, so however a player does on a social role then dictates the NPC's behavior, but that's not reciprocated. So the, the, an NPC can't force a player to behave a certain way through a die roll. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't I think it's a false dichotomy. I think what Catrice is saying is it's a real dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, when if the players well, are walking towards a town and it's full of NPCs and they turn around and go in the opposite direction and never go back, those NPCs don't mean anything. Even if the GM created you know a hundred of them with names and and no matter how much work or how little work got put into it, well, they're just in the next town. I mean, yes. But... <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah. part of part of what I'm trying to get at is is based on the adage that everyone is the hero of their own story. That mm-hmm. applies to NPCs as well. Nah, fuck really them. Want to be fair about it. <laughs> no, I agree with Carr, man. I I think that's part of that's part of giving them a motivation. Like you you want to give them at least enough of a motivation so that they act in a way that's fictionally recognizable as human yeah i mean i i get that like there's that that fictionally recognizable as human um but well okay they're not the star of this story they might be the star of their own story but they're not the star of this story and so you have to focus on them in different ways and uh have them interact with the fiction in a different way than the pcs do unless that's the focus of your game in which case Go buck wild. I would actually even go further than that and state that no, it's not always true. Like, all, most people are not even the hero, even of their own story. Like, yeah, like, let's face the fact that most people are barely more than NPCs in reality. <laughs> like, the, like, there's a couple of heroes that really stand out that everybody knows about. So you have, like, Uh, The leader of a country. They're amazing. You have, like, the generals in the army. But for most of the grunts, they don't really do anything that really stands out enough to warrant giving them extra stats and stuff. And villains. We have have real-life villains, too. Allow me to amend that, then, since we're going to be pedantic about what hero means. We're always going to be pedantic. 
to say that everyone is the protagonist of their own story. Does that work? <laughs> yes, that. But yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, I under I understand that every sure everyone's the protagonist. Of, fine, but they're not the protagonist of this story. So fuck off. <laughs> yeah, my my point is that there Take is actually a dichotomy <laughs> sense that they can be the uh, the protagonist of their own story, but it doesn't matter because they're not a hero. Like they do not stand out as important enough for us to bother looking at their story because they're boring. If they were interesting, they'd be the uh, player character. You can have interesting NPCs. Oh, you don't, can. Don't say that. You, you definitely can. I'm. I'm. We'll check out the book. About, but... by Drew Hayes. Yeah, mm, but I'm. It's all I'm, about this. <laughs> but I will say, for the most part, the average generic storekeeper does not need like a huge backstory. They don't need like much more than basic motivations like some basic stuff so that yes they're interesting but they don't need like a lot of stuff to flesh them out because they're not really interesting enough to tell like a full story about i i I will take that a little bit further and add some nuance to it in saying that npcs need as much fleshing out or the amount of fleshing out NPCs need is directly correlated to how much impact they will have on the PC's story. Well, that's it for now, listeners. Join us next week for the conclusion. And now, for a special announcement, me. And here is Fuck You, Pay Me in a cobalt voice. Fuck you, pay me! Thanks for listening. Have a good week.